Welcome to the Swamplex Podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. Hi, I'm Allie. And I am Boomer. And we are recording in three separate locations in a very chilly United States of America today. Uh, I am <laughs> under a blanket. We watched a very cold weather specific movie. We did. Uh, and I'm just feeling those chills deep in my bones. Boy, today. we sure did. <laughs> we sure did. How are y'all doing? I'm just trying to keep warm over here. My house is not very well insulated, so like I'm just trying to not touch the floor as much as I can. You know, I think it's probably colder there than it is here right now, which is crazy. I hate hearing that. I know. <laughs> I live in a swamp for a reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, actually, it's about the same temperature. Okay. Here and there. So, yeah, I'm fine, Uh, even though our house isn't very well insulated either <laughs> but i'm fine i i've been in my robe and under blankets all day too though i love the cold it gives me strength you sick fuck i know i know <laughs> yeah i'm gonna be honest my heat has only kicked on like three times so far this winter i yeah. keep it set at 62 Dang. Um, because that's the at that point i'm like mm, okay if it gets down to 62 i might need the heat but otherwise, all I have to do is just like take a hot shower and then put a blanket on and uh, I retain my heat. I am not a summer person. I wither. I wither. Our heat does not kick on unless it gets down to 50 degrees in the house because it's really not worth it. Oh, <laughs> because wow. that's how badly like enclosed the space is. Um, and it finally kicked on this morning uh, for the first time this season. Oh my goodness. Um, very upsetting. <laughs> we are a... 68 household and i refused for it to be lower so i'm decadent here well i mean the good news is that in new orleans it's never cold for that long oh yeah a couple weeks a year it's fucking miserable for me but then i get my like skin melting summers uh sweat it out yeah i miss that weather sometimes (laughs) (laughs) i don't i'm just gonna say right now i do not (laughs) i remember getting off the plane uh when we went to portland a couple years ago Uh uh-huh and uh, getting back to New Orleans and the air just being that, like, soup that, like, uh, crawls onto your skin, it, I was like, man, I'm home. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I always feel like I'm just being, like, hugged when I get off yeah. the airplane. I'm like, oh, this is nice, actually. <laughs> um, which is horrible sounding, but... <laughs> it's funny, because Matt is from El Paso, which is desert, and uh, Nikki, my old roommate, his roommates before me, one of them was from New Mexico and one of them was from like the desert part of California. And I used to talk about how much I loved how dry it is here in the redacted place that I am. I guess it's Austin. <laughs> and they were always like, uh, dry, you're so crazy. I'm like, I'm sorry that you're desert people yeah. and you don't understand <laughs> that compared to like swimming through the air like my whole life austin is comparatively so dry and especially to yeah and when i was a kid you know you take like life science or physical science or whatever and you know you learn that the purpose of sweat glands is so that sweat gets onto your skin and then it evaporates and it cools your body and i remember learning that as like a fact in the same way that you learn like facts that you that don't make any sense to you where you live like oh you know that it would be like you know if you grew up in australia and it's like you're watching all these like um american movies where it's snowing at christmas because it's it's summer in australia in december it was like yeah okay this is just a fact that i have to learn to repeat for a test it's not actually true 
to my experience. Yeah. And then the first time that I came, you know, to Austin and then I sweat and then suddenly I wasn't wet anymore and my body felt cooler. I was like, oh, it's not a lie. The system works. It's just, it's just, <laughs> it just is not what I have always known. Well, the one good thing about uh, cold weather is that it is good under the blanket movie watching weather. Yes. So I assume somebody's been watching movies out there. Oh, yeah. Surprisingly, not me because it's been uh, under the blanket reading some books weather. So I finished the second book in the All Souls trilogy, which is the Discovery Witches trilogy. And it's pretty good. I liked it better than the first. Still very, like, vampire romancy, but I'm into that, so <laughs> my taste is suspect. Uh, and then another vampire romance book as well, part of the Blood and Ash series, which if you're not into romance and explicit smut, don't even read it. Don't do it. <laughs> but also, I've been still chugging along with stardew valley uh it's been great that's that's been my weeks uh i'm sure somebody else has been actually watching movies though so i'll stop talking about my terrible reading habits and being a nerd (laughs) well um i am constantly at the end of every year i'm like oh i've got to make sure that i have seen enough movies to make like a really well informed um, end of the year list. Brandon, how many movies did you say that you ended up watching last year? A few over a hundred, probably like a hundred and five. Jeez and Pete's. Let me see here. <laughs> I saw, oh goodness, of 2021 releases, I saw 32. So not that okay. many. Nice. Not a hundred. Still more than me, so. <laughs> and I, I feel ready and well informed. And, and I will say eight of those have been since the last time we recorded (laughs) so i have a lot to talk about um i'm gonna go ahead and tell you right now i will have my depending on when this is released my top list might have already been published or it might be forthcoming Allie's is up mine is up. Allie's is up it's up there i read it and i liked it i read yours brandon and there was one thing on there that uh you had on your list that i think you're going to be surprised by how high it is on mine But my honorable mention that I want to mention now, even before we go any further, is Jenny Nicholson's Vampire Diaries video, which is now at almost 7 million views, was the best, best movie of 2021. But I couldn't Mm. put it on my list because it is not a movie. Um, (laughs) Kat got me a shirt from her for Christmas that is a reference to a joke made in that video. And Kat sent her a message when she ordered it that was like, Thank you for the best film of 2021. And Jenny said, thank you. Um, (laughs) Or she might have said you're welcome. But either way, uh, we love Jenny Nicholson in this house. Um, I will start with the one I liked least um, that I watched. And I guess work up to the one that I liked most. The one that I liked least of what I recently watched was Together Together. That was pretty bland, right? There's nothing much there. You know, it was a perfectly acceptable movie. With much more talented people than should be in a movie that's that fine. Like, everybody in that movie is extremely talented. Uh, I I don't know that I would say everybody. Well, maybe not Ed Helms, but... (laughs) Yeah, I'm not really an Ed Helms person, but I love Patty Harrison. Like, I love her. I have been a big fan of hers 
for a couple of years now. I don't I can't pretend or claim that I have been a fan of hers for her entire career. I really only became aware of her after being introduced to her in 2019 uh, by a friend showing me some of her stand up as well as her either college humor or funnier die that you can't find them anymore. They've been removed from YouTube. So I don't remember who originally produced them, but it was uh, like Patty reviews. And she just had like a, like a real New York area animal handler on and she would review the animals and it was very funny. Uh, if you can find those somewhere other than YouTube, or maybe you live in a region or have access to a VPN that will make you seem to be in a region where those are, have not been removed, I would say definitely give those a shot. Julio Torres is also in it, and he is very funny, and he's very funny in it. But overall, as a movie, it was a little bit less than the sum of its parts, or the sum of its actors. I agree. But Damn, I'm glad to see Rosalind Chow getting work. Never see enough of her. <laughs> Joe Firestone's in it. She's very funny. Yeah. Uh, Tignataro. Yeah, yeah. Bunch of like really like out there, edgy, like aggressive comedians doing like the most basic like Nancy Myers type work. <laughs> it's very strange to see. Yeah. It's like, if you just unleashed these people, you'd have the funniest fucking movie of the year. But they're kind of just like on their best behavior. Yeah, I agree. Um, <laughs> slightly better than that was the dry, which my review of that went up this week, which is a perfectly acceptable Australian crime drama, um, about Eric Bana going back to his hometown, uh, from which he was sort of exiled, not officially, but, um, you know, in the public consciousness, as a result of being implicated falsely in the death of his teen of his girlfriend when he was a teenager. And now uh, his best friend has been presumed to have murdered his family and then killed himself in sort of a, a murder suicide thing. And his childhood friends, parents ask him to remain in town as he's now a federal police officer to investigate and sort of clear the name of his childhood friend. Um, it's perfectly acceptable. There's not a whole lot more to it. It is very much like Together Together, and that it is a perfectly acceptable example of its genre. But, you know, there's nothing necessarily new or novel about it. Although, of course, in the case of Together Together, it's that Patty is playing a pregnant woman. Um, but other than that, there's nothing really new about the dry either. Um, one movie that I did not write about, uh, but that I did see this year, and I wanted to go ahead and mention it, was the Dylan O'Brien vehicle flashback. Brandon, I know that you know Dylan O'Brien because you liked Love and Monsters. Yeah, it was very cute. Some good monster action, and he was adorable in it. Uh, yeah. Fun little sci-fi romance movie. I'm very fond of him. I've been very fond of him for a long time. Been you know following his career for, God, you know, 10 years now. Uh, flashback is the movie with him and Maika Monroe, who I also really enjoy. And it's kind of like a better version of the butterfly effect. Okay. <laughs> um, where essentially when he was a teenager, supposedly Dylan O'Brien, along with Maika Monroe and a couple of other people, including one of the wolf boys, I think, but I'm not sure which one. And I might be misremembering. Um, they did like a drug called flashback together 
and now as adults they're sort of unstuck in time a little bit oh it's not one of the it's not one of the wolf brothers it's Kier gilchrist from sexually transmitted poltergeist what's that movie it follows it follows <laughs> Kier gilchrist from it I was follows like, i um, think i know which one you're talking about but <laughs> was Micah monroe in it follows as well or yes Mr. yes oh she was okay I believe so, unless <laughs> unless we're all we're all old and having strokes. Yes, she was in It Follows. Okay. So essentially at this point in his life, Dylan O'Brien formerly was interested in art and now he has sort of like a, you know, soulless business job or whatever. And he starts to have flashbacks to you know, he's he's happily married now, but his and his uh mother is um experiencing early onset dementia. And he starts having these flashbacks, like the title says, to being a teenager and sort of a weird relationship that he had with this girl, Cindy, played by Maika Monroe, where she introduced him to trying the drug flashback for the first time. And like, maybe it's not a drug. Maybe it's actually something that allows him to attempt to pierce the veil to alternate realities. Maybe he's moving back and forth through time. Maybe as he is told at one point, there is a parasite on him that is forcing him to experience time in a linear fashion and that the drug helps people disconnect from these parasites. It's an interesting watch. Uh, definitely more of like a thinking person's butterfly effect because it has that sort of same structure, but there's more going on inside of it. And of course, Dylan O'Brien is charming as always. So I would give that one a mild recommend if you happen to catch it somewhere, but I wouldn't go out of your way to see it. Next up is Rare Beasts, which my review of that went up recently. That is the directorial debut of Billy Piper, who also wrote the movie. It has a weird format. It's interesting because it's sort of like an anti-rom-com in which her character, because she's also the lead in it, essentially decides to go ahead and date a man who is a borderline like red pill incel um he's truly horrible but it's like a rom-com that seems to be aware that the male lead is horrible and most of them the guy is right yeah and he just doesn't realize it and this one he seems to be kind of aware and not care and she seems to you know understand that she is making a sacrifice even though she has conceptualized herself as like a modern woman, you know, Murphy Brown lied to us kind of situation is what she's experiencing in her life. She, she's, she considers herself a modern woman, but she has a pretty banal job and she escapes through, you know, casual drug use. And she has a really a son who is um, very difficult to deal with while her mother's dying. And it's a fascinating movie because it's, still sort of treats a lot of things like rom-com moments, but plays them for... I, I don't know if anybody else watched this year the uh, TV show Kevin Can Fuck Himself. I didn't see no, that either. Yeah, no. It has the actress who played the daughter on Schitt's Creek. It's sort of... Um, she is married to a Kevin James sitcom husband type. Every time he's on screen, it sort of cuts to a one-camera live audience sitcom setup. And he engages in the sort of behavior that sitcom dads and husbands do. But then whenever he's off screen, it cuts to a much grayer 
bleaker sort of two camera drama setup and deals with the fact that like any person who acted the way that a sitcom character does in real life would actually be an abusive spouse and rare beasts is kind of like that in the sense that it continues to use like rom-com style shots and editing and everything while you are watching a woman dealing with settling and settling for like the worst possible man she could on top of all the other things that are happening in it. And in my review, I specifically talked about the weird way that the dialogue works in that movie. So uh, check it out. I also saw Matrix Resurrections, which Fuck you talked yeah. about last time. <laughs> uh, it was cute. Oh, oh no. I, cute. No, I, I think that it was cute. I think that it was uh, fine. Um, I saw Nikki, my old roommate, yesterday, and he said that he had hated it. And I was like, hmm. I, I don't feel that way. He did dislike the way that the kung fu of the old movies had kind of been replaced with uh, Dragon Ball Z, like, shove moves that did things. The movie is so disinterested in action. Like, it, it, it kind of has to have those, like, fights to, like, move the plot along. But, like, it does not care about making that stuff look cool. Okay. I'm kind of with you. I think that the action in it is not very interesting. And I had not really conceived that maybe it was because uh, that it was intentional. I just was like, in that scene where they're fighting the Merovingian or whatever, I was like, ugh, I'm so bored. I'm ready to get back to the Trinity stuff. But I feel like the Merv like uh, guy like just rambling, uh, just internet babble for that whole scene. Like I found listening to him more thrilling than any of the images. Yes. Which I think in general, like Lana Wachowski was more interested in the dialogue and the like romance and the like meta commentary than she was in any of the action. Like, I don't know if she intentionally made it bad, but I could say that uh, yeah. she didn't seem very interested in making it good. <laughs> I think I think it might be bad on purpose. And not bad, but just fine. Right. I think what could happen is if she had made a movie that was just straight up bad, then Warner Brothers could justify trying to do another sequel without the involvement of either sister. But by making a movie that's just kind of fine... <laughs> it, it kind of it prevents them from making more because people are i mean I, I i was just looking at imdb about it earlier and people were like robots say omg and give each other fist bumps now this isn't my matrix or whatever and i'm like i, I don't i couldn't good i couldn't force <laughs> myself to care i couldn't force yeah. myself to care about that like i think that the original matrix is a good movie maybe even a great one but it is also just like a philosophy course <laughs> mixed with like, you know, Kung Fu. Like it's not, and it's a freshman entry level philosophy text, right? It's just yeah. Plato's cave with, with, with Kung Fu fighting. And that's fine. I and mean, it had a lot of other things that were new, like bullet time and all of that. And, you know, interesting effects and, and you know, great choreography. But I don't remember the sequels at all the ones that came out in the early 2000s. I don't remember anything about them. Um, I remember trying to watch them and being very confused. And I felt like in this movie, I was not confused at all. I knew exactly what was happening at all times, but it was just fine. It was cute. Carrie Ann Moss looks great 
Yes. <laughs> I could only hope to look as good as she does when I'm her age. I'm not her age, and I look like shit in comparison. <laughs> Carrie Ann Moss is a gorgeous woman who looks great. Um, I liked, you know, some of the effects. I think that I think that I enjoyed the first half more than the second half. I would agree with that. I think that Bugs was the only new character who was interesting at all. But if you look back on the original, you really only remember like the the <laughs> the Trinity of Trinity Neo and Morpheus and maybe like, I don't know, Cypher. And then, I don't know, two brothers with, with funny matching names like Dozer and Tank or something like that. And then there right. was Mouse, right? Like none of those characters, they were all just as much background as like everyone other than Bugs in this one. I liked her. I liked Jessica... Um, I like that actress. I can't remember her name. It's, but I like her. She's great. But another one that I saw that I think you enjoyed, Brandon, was The French Dispatch. I love that movie. I liked it. Uh, the more I think about it, the more I like it. It's very dense. It is very dense. I don't know. It's worth a revisit to like kind of dig in further. And I liked it even more then. I think in your review, you said for you, it was the best one you'd liked since Tenenbaums, right? Yeah, I think it's one that it, at the very least feels like him the most excited about the art of filmmaking it has Mm. like an insane number of individual setups and images and just rapid fire visual gags uh i found it probably the funniest movie he's made since the 90s really oh definitely and you think it's funnier than life aquatic yes okay i laugh a lot more watching this one but I, i think it's it's easy to say stuff like that because it's also feels like it's kind of like matrix resurrections it feels like it's kind of about wes anderson's career and like his place in the art world yes yes i like agree it kind of invites you to look back at his work over the past two decades and like think about what it means and stuff like that uh maybe not as directly as matrix resurrections which is about as like blatant as you can get this one's a little more subtle but it made me appreciate him more i guess it took me a minute to get into it, which is unusual because I, I really like his work. And normally from the moment the credits roll, I'm, I'm on board. I wouldn't say that this is even, I, I would say that this is probably in the middle for me. My number one is Fantastic Mr. Fox with okay. so Royal Tenenbaums and, and then Steve Asisu behind it, or Life Aquatic. And admittedly, I've never seen Darjeeling. Eh. Eh. And I have also not seen Moonrise Kingdom. But I would put this, you know, I would put it probably on the same level as Grand Budapest Hotel, right below Life Aquatic for me. I enjoyed it. It was difficult. I It was not until the second sort of vignette that I really got into it when it was Owen Wilson doing his like bike tour of uh, Ennui. I was just like, it was a little too much all at once. <laughs> um, but then once the second segment started, I, 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 it was great. I think that... So when I think about Life Aquatic, though, there's so many moments that were instantly quotable to me. Jokes that work out of context, like, you know, we fucking stole it, man. Or, um, you know, is that my espresso machine? You know, like jokes that I think are very funny, whereas looking back on the French Dispatch, I, I'm i trying to think of a couple of one-liners that you could just like quote and laugh about. And I can't think of any. Um, although Tilda Swinton's speech is very funny. And I know that the segment that was about the police chef was like the author of that one is sort of based on um, James Baldwin. But what is really funny to me is maybe the day before I watched it, you know, I watch all these channels that are mostly for old people 
and I get really excited sometimes to watch Dick Cavett. Because Truman Capote was on Dick Cavett last week. And I was, it was so funny to me how much like that interview, the interview that he's giving on television in that segment is. I know he's supposed to be James Baldwin, but there's a lot of Truman Capote in there as well. Which I I found very, very amusing. But overall, yes, I did enjoy it. It's going to be on my list. Rare Beasts barely avoided making the list cut. Um, But the French Dispatch is definitely going to be on it. I also saw uh, Spider-Man, the new one, No Way Home, and I will say that I enjoyed it. <laughs> Somehow, I, 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 you know, you can read my review, listener, if you want more information. Um, it is very spoilery, but I will say I continue to despise the Disney Corporation and all that it stands for. However... It's Spider-Man. You know, I had a good time. Hey, sometimes that McDonald's two cheeseburger meal with fries and a small Coke is just so fucking good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's you know, it is the McDonald's or the Starbucks of the of movies. You know, you know exactly what you're going to get. It's not going to be any better than any other version of that that you've gotten before. But it is what it is. It just hits the spot. I saw Plan B which was Natalie Morales's directorial debut. Did either of you watch that one? I wanted to. The advertising looked a lot like Blockers and other like teen sex comedies, like this like sort of new wave of uh sort of like de-jocking those, like yeah. making them less about boy sexuality, which I generally like that genre a lot, but for some reason I just never got around to this one. I just never made time for it. It is All on it's Hulu. like longer than you would expect it to be. It is about 15 or 20 minutes longer than you expect for a comedy. I right. will say that. Which, you know, it is because because of its subject matter. Because it is mostly a comedy. But, you know, I guess spoilers real quick. You know, this whole movie is about um, these two teenage girls. And one of them, after having an unsatisfying first sexual experience with a boy at a party, wakes up and realizes that, like, she might be in that 1% condom and effectiveness group uh, because of the way that it was used. And they attempt to go to the pharmacy in their hometown and are denied uh, the Plan B pill because... Uh, In North Dakota, where they are, like many places, pharmacists are able to invoke a conscientious or conscience clause or whatever in order to not provide needed medical care because uh, we live in a broken state nationally and at the state level. (laughs) And so they have to go to try and find the nearest Planned Parenthood. And the spoiler alert is that, of course, once they get there, it's been closed because of the lack of support. So... It's not preachy or heavy handed. I think that it could be effective for a lot of people who in general are uh, people who are in general anti-choice. Um, I think that it actually could be pretty effective at getting through to them and really um, demonstrating, or maybe I'm being optimistic because so many people have brain worms, but it's good. It's good. I highly recommend it. It's serious when it needs to be. It's funny when it needs to be. It's even kind of cringy when it needs to be. And I loved that. And then the last thing, oh boy, I am I'm on a roll. Uh, the last one that I saw that is going to be, I think, higher than you're expecting on my list. I saw that you wrote about this, Brandon, and I will say I um, watched it and I was so excited to write about it. And I got like a page and a half into a review before I realized you had already reviewed it. So oh, that's going to no. end up oh. 
That's going to end up in my uh, end of the year list. But Crypto Zoo. Oh, hell yeah. I loved this movie. It's amazing. Ali, have I, you, I like have you heard Dash Shaw's stuff a lot. Yeah, I think I told both of y'all about that. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, you you suggested it. So. <laughs> sorry, sometimes, sometimes I zone out, so I might have missed the original <laughs> recommendation, but Ali, have you seen it? I have not seen it yet. Oh, uh, it's on Hulu now. I, it is I know that fantastic. I will love it because I am just a big like animation fan generally. Have you even seen the trailer? No. I saw the trailer and could not wait 24 hours to watch it. As soon as I saw the trailer, I was like, I've got to watch this. I've been recommending it up and down to everyone I know. It's so good. But I will save my thoughts on that for my end of the year list forthcoming. Brandon, what have you been watching? Before I move on, I do want to say that uh, Dash Shaw, who directed that, his first movie, uh, My Entire High School Sinking into the Sea, is also streaming on Netflix. um, And it's very good. Uh, All right. Same sort of like hyperactive psychedelic visual style kind of paired with sort of like low key mopiness. I think my entire high school is a little more goofy. Like there's like a lot of jokes in it. Whereas CryptoZoo takes its like futuristic zoo for cryptids plot like very seriously um, in a way that you kind of don't expect. But um, yeah, they're both like visually mind blowing. (laughs) So if you liked CryptoZoo, I think my entire high school is worth watching too. All right. And to that end, I actually watched two movies from 2022 this weekend, two new releases from this wow. very January. Wow. Um, and they were both animated, um, and one of them was on Netflix. And it actually looks a lot like the visual style of Fantastic Mr. Fox, which we already referenced. I watched this movie called The House uh, that just premiered on Netflix this week. I don't know if y'all have heard of this. No. It just caught my eye because... It's an anthology film where it's like three different stories set in the same house with three different animators for each segment. And one of them was animated by this duo who directed this film called This Magnificent Cake a couple years ago. Uh, that was about like uh, the Belgian Congo um, and had this like very distinct animation style. And I don't know if I just saw like a promotional still or something. And I was like, oh, I recognize that imagery. Um, so I just kind of gave it a shot without any prior knowledge of it because you know sometimes netflix just dumps actually good art with no promotion yeah <laughs> you just kind of have to find right. it for yourself this is one writer writing three short stories in this house with three different teams of animators for each segment and it's kind of a horror anthology in that everyone who owns this gigantic house gets kind of consumed by it. Like it's like an obsession for every owner that has it that just keeps putting more and more work into it until it just absorbs them into its bones. So it's got kind of this like dark humor about it. And also this like creepy kind of like traditional ghost story payoffs for each of the uh, segments. Like it's kind of like, you know, like old ghost stories and fairy tales almost have like a punchline and like a lesson at the end. Right. They each kind of pay off like that. This sounds exactly like my sort of thing. I really liked it. Um, I I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. Uh, I thought it was just going to be kind of like a nothing thing. But uh, (laughs) very, like, great traditional stop-motion animation. Like, very textured. The This Magnificent Cake people, they work with, like, these, like, felts where you can see the individual hairs on, like, uh, these, like, very, like, smooth felt surfaces. And then the other two segments were more of a Fantastic Mr. Fox style with, like, 
almost taxidermy looking animal figures um working out these like parables within the house. I don't really have much else to say about it other than it's very good, especially if you're like interested in stop motion because um, it's got a very traditional style and it's very eerie. And as someone who owns a house that continuously needs more work because it's old oh, no. and uh, <laughs> keeps taking up more of my time, money, and energy the longer I live in it. Very relatable. I kind was going to say, story. that sounds like it's going to be <laughs> real relatable around these parts. Yeah. <laughs> The other one I saw in the movie theater today, I went out and saw Belle. Oh, also animated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were telling me about this. Uh, It's an anime film from the director of The Girl Who Leapt Through Time and Mirai. Uh, I think he also did a movie called Wolf Children that I've never seen before. Uh, This one is a Beauty and the Beast retelling, sort of. I mean, that's what I expected when I went in, given its title and the fact that the girl in it falls in love with a dragon beast who lives in a castle. What I did not know before we bought tickets to go see it was that it's also a movie about the internet. Um, <laughs> it's set in this like near future, kind of like the Congress, where um, almost everybody on the planet uh, has an avatar in this like metaverse type space. Like you know, they go about their daily lives, like going to work right. and school, kind of like now. But um, most of their like actual attention and like celebrity culture and like living out your actual like truth or whatever is like on the internet as an avatar. Right. This very okay. shy girl um, who's afraid to sing in public because she used to sing with her mother and her mother died tragically. Uh, and she hasn't sung a note in public since then. Uh, finds like unexpected celebrity as this like pop singer in this like universe online and then in there falls in love with this dragon beast who um wants to be left alone in this castle and uh so it goes into a beauty and the beast plot and then it goes into this whole other thing about her trying to like save the real life person that the beast is an avatar for it just kind of piles more and more plot onto this like very colorful internet avatar psychedelia space just keeps piling more and more on it's very i want to call it a little messy but maybe it's just like unwieldy how much story there is but i really liked it i mean obviously i'm a a sucker for the internet as like a cinematic subject um talk about it all the time to the point where everyone's probably bored of hearing about it in this case i think this movie has a interesting both sidesing about the internet where it's like both wonderful that people can find this like online community in this way to express yourself that's not, not limited to your body, your physical body. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it's very honest about how people still get bullied online and like how having a lot of attention online is not fun. And uh, how, you know, most interactions are cruel. Like people, the anonymity of the internet just allows people to be cruel to yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. So even as she becomes this big pop star celebrity that's like, enjoying a more functional life than her real life as like a high school loser. It still sucks because she's like just flooded with negative attention, um, almost equal to the positive attention she's getting, if not more overwhelming than that. Mm, Okay. I don't know if you, if you watched a lot of like recent anime movies, like they mix a lot of like 2d traditional hand-drawn style with like a lot of like cheap looking CG animation. I'm not always into that, but I feel like this one gets away with it because it has like that kind of like cyberspace element that allows it to like 
kind of cheat a little bit <laughs> with like not hand drawing all the backdrops and stuff like that. I don't know. For like a first trip to the theater uh, for the year, I couldn't have asked for a better time. I think uh, usually right, like yeah. January genre dumps are pretty bad. <laughs> I uh, I shed a little tear during the big emotional climax, and I enjoyed looking at all the little avatars for all the cute little creatures. Um, uh. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if you're uh, if you're a sucker for anime and uh, also like internet movies. I think this is something that might interest people. Winnipeg, it's way more fun for us to cross the city using only its back lanes. The city possesses a vast network of these unofficial streets, a fine grid-like work of narrow, unspoken-of byways that hold a charm all of their own. They're not even allowed on city maps, but the populace knows all about them and uses them more than legitimate streets. So, I had everybody this week watch the Guy Madden fantasy documentary as psychotherapy mythology that is uh my winnipeg it is narrated by guy madden he makes up a lot of facts about winnipeg a lot of myths he relives a lot of his childhood through actors and his old childhood home rented he talks about actual historical events and it's just kind of hard to categorize this in one way or another, as his style tends to be. He, of course, still does his signature, like, make everything look like a silent movie star thing. Right. So how I have described Guy Madden's movies in the past to people is it's like if an alien had watched a compilation of silent films and decided they were going to make movies. That's what Guy Madden movies are like to me. And I love it. But this one is like semi-autobiographical. It's got this like weird, dark sense of humor. It's kind of this constant voiceover kind of like, you know, last year at Marion Bad. I don't know. It's just sprawling for an, an hour and 20 minute film in some ways. But I also wanted to talk about the fact that, like I said, there's a lot of truth and fiction in it. So before we get started, I wanted to, if if y'all are okay with it, say which events featured in the movie are real. Yeah. Yeah. So the things in the movie that were mentioned that are real, that actually guess? happened. Yeah. Can we guess about any of them? Okay, yeah. I'm going to guess... That everything having to do with the building that he grew up in is true. That it was designed by his mother and all of that. And that they lived there and his aunt and his grandmother lived in the lower portion while they lived in the upper portion. Yeah, I'm pretty sure most of the stuff about his family is true, except for, you know, Ledge Man. Yeah, I was going to say his mother was never in Ledge, Ledge Man. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Ledge Man clearly didn't exist. Okay, yeah. all right, sorry. I do know a little bit about him because yeah. I have seen probably six or seven of his movies. Yes. Being a fan over the years. Mm-hmm. So I just watched Coward's Bend the Knee last yeah. year, which is like one of my favorite movies I watched all of last year. And that one 
has a lot of stuff set in a hair salon. Yeah. Um, so, like, yeah. I, I remember reading up on, like, his childhood growing up with a hairdresser mother before. His mother actually was a hairdresser, and his father actually was a hockey manager. <laughs> yeah, I believed that part, too. Okay, cool. There's also a lot of hockey stuff in Coward's Bend the Knee as well. Um, I think uh, his dad is like in the because he plays himself in that as well. <laughs> I think his dad is like a hockey uh, owner in that movie. But that one's like a horror film. Uh, and this one is more, you know, documentary, quote unquote. Were there any others you wanted to guess? I also read about his brother. Yeah, uh, before, I was going to say. What really makes this movie dark. Yeah. Do Okay. I, I assumed that that was true, but they never really yeah. say specifically what happened. But obviously the death of a child is always, yeah. always harrowing. Yeah, that was that was what I believed to be true. Yeah. I also would believe that maybe they sublet his old house and the woman living there would refuse to leave. I would believe <laughs> that that's possible. I don't know about that detail. Okay. Well, we should say specifically what happens to his brother both in the yeah, movie and Yeah, I was going to say, in, in real life, uh, his brother did commit suicide. And oh, man. In the movie, they, he's shown as like just lying in basically the gutter with his mother talking about how he's not there anymore and he's so much more comfortable and you know obviously there's the whole ledge man plot so oh yeah okay he makes a lot of jokes about (laughs) suicide and his brother's death yeah and like there's obviously a lot of hurt there when he like references it but also it's coming from the point of view of someone who's actually had to live with that tragedy and exactly has made peace with it by making like dark kind of off-color jokes about it mm-hmm. so like as an audience mm-hmm. you are uncomfortable but obviously he's made peace with that tragedy in his life and is like at the point where he can just like kind of make jokes about it like yeah, it's yeah. Really fucked up but here's like a zinger because <laughs> i yeah. can't deal with it any other way at this point yeah and that's what was new to me about this movie in general is like there's a lot going on here that you will see in every other guy mad movie like yes we're talking about just the like old-timey antiqued look to the point where anytime you see another director aging their film to look like it was from uh, the early 20th century, you're like, yeah. oh, that's like a Guy Madness chick that you're doing. But also not as good, <laughs> usually. Well, I, I mean, mean 20th, the of the 20th century, century. I was going to say, that is the one example uh, <laughs> yeah. that I will point to the contrary, but mostly. I'll be mildly blasphemous and say I like that movie more than any Guy Madden movie. It like just does yeah. all the things I like about Guy Madden, just slightly tilted my direction. Yeah, because um. you know this still has his like weird like exploration of like sexuality and Freudian oh, yeah. ideas, and that you're gonna see in like so many of his other movies, like Careful, especially. <laughs> I need to see that. I haven't seen that one. Oh, so it's great. this was my first Guy Madden movie. I haven't seen any of them. And I was visiting a friend this afternoon and talking about it, and it did come up that he was he uh, is a big fan. My friend Stephen, shout out to Stephen. And hey, Steve. As it turns out, he was like, "Oh, okay, I got really into him, you know, sometime in the past like couple of years." And he recommended for me specifically that brand on the brain. Brain, yeah. I think it would call it was called would be one that he would recommend to me as as one that I would probably enjoy the most. Yeah, Brandon. I haven't seen good. that one either. 
I, I missed like some of the essential ones because I would say my Winnipeg is probably his most beloved, even though it feels like the one that got the widest distribution. And I'm saying this because that's the one I saw first, and it was in the theater. Was uh, <laughs> uh, the saddest, saddest music, music in, the, in world. the world, which is also really great. Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah. Um, the different thing that I've never seen before in his other stuff is obviously the biographical material. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever seen such a personal movie from him. Yeah. And then also there's a lot of early to mid 2000s digi cinematography in this. Mm-hmm. Um, like DV camera on the streets of Winnipeg, just sort of like filming yeah. modern life and not making it look old. I've yeah. never seen him mix that in with his like pastiche. Yeah. Stuff. So I thought it was really interesting uh, this watch around because of, you know, all of the facts and fiction blurred that there is all that DV camera and there is his like pastiche, but like it keeps you from being able to tell like what is archival footage of real Winnipeg events? What isn't like what is right. going on? So it's all kind of the dreaminess, you know, why are we so sleepy? Uh, which is a line I quote that is quoted constantly in my house. <laughs> Lately, I just uh, shout the inner title, uh, so cold. Yes, <laughs> so cold. <laughs> yeah, I love his inner titles with this as well, just because it's like not necessary, but so necessary. A lot of non sequiturs, like yeah. it's not actual dialogue, it's just like... A lot of subconscious yelling yeah. <laughs> past his narration. Were there any other real-life events you wanted to note uh, mixed in here? Yeah, so real things that happened in Winnipeg. Uh, the general strike, that was real. Yeah, that makes sense. The Sir Arthur Conan Doyle coming was real. Oh, okay. Uh, if Day is also real. Huh, If Day, really? Yeah, that was also really? real. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Wow. All yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, Garbage Hill is a real place. Um, nobody was impaled <laughs> slutting, but <laughs> uh, so those are the real events. How early on do you think that we are supposed to catch on to the fact that it's? Uh, I would say not true from the Sleepwalker Capital of the Worlds. And okay. The law about There's the There's all keys. that hyperbole like that where he's like, it's the coldest <laughs> the city, city in the, the world. world. It's the smallest park in the world. It's the world's largest Masonic temple. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so like the, the thing is, like that. I, I believed that it was the sleepwalker capital of the world. <laughs> the keys to each other's houses and you have to yeah. let a sleepwalker in. Okay. Having to let a sleepwalker in is actually the moment where I was like, oh, okay, this isn't true. Everything before that seemed not reasonable, but possible. I was like, oh, it could be. I was like, is it the coldest place in the world? Isn't Siberia (laughs) cold? Well, maybe, maybe it's not. Maybe it's depending on how many days of the year. Like, maybe it's measuring by how many days of the year it's below a certain temperature rather than like how cold it actually gets. And I was like, okay, maybe I can let that go. Um, but it really, and I was like, oh, maybe it does have the most sleepwalkers. I would believe that too. But at the moment that it was like, and if you have a sleepwalker in your house, you have to let them wake up there normally. Yeah. That, that was the moment that I was like, oh, okay, all right. It's I was actually law. thinking about you in general, because you have like a distaste for like fact blurring 
I was thinking about that afterwards. I was like, oh, dang. Whoops. <laughs> yes and no. Um, I enjoyed this one. It took me about 10 minutes before I could give in to it and be like, oh, this is fun. Because I do generally dislike fact blurring whenever, like when we talked about a glitch in the Matrix, where it was like blurring the line and also just like horrible in its like message. You know what? I went back and watched that movie and I really liked it. I just never brought it up. <laughs> Did you <laughs> really? really feel a whole conversation <laughs> that I wasn't prepared to have. You liked a glitch in the Matrix. Yes, I did. That scene towards the end where that guy narrates uh, him murdering his parents fucking terrified me. And I felt like the movie was more critical of the subjects than you did. But I feel like I have that same reaction to every Rodney Asher film. Well, listeners, this is the last lanyap that I'll be participating in. <laughs> oh, no. It's a historic moment. No, I'm just kidding. Oh no! <laughs> no, I there. While I was watching it, I was like, "Who was it that made us watch Schizopolis? Me. And I went back and looked it up, and it, it was you, Allie. <laughs> and that was when I was like, "I was like, I think that I'm really starting to understand." Because I, a few years back, wanted to do. Um, true stories as movie yes, of the month true stories. and at the time you were still participating in those so i wasn't able to because you had seen it and then once yeah. you stopped participating in those i was like hey can we can we do true stories now and we did and this exists to me in the same realm yeah as schizopolis and true stories where yeah. it presents itself as semi-factual but mm -hmm. obviously is so it, it can't possibly be yeah so i don't think at any point you could really be tricked by it i would be more upset if like people within not upset but i would like it less if people within the movie were misled i actually really enjoyed mm. this because there's nothing there's i don't think there's anything <laughs> harmful about it and i you know not that necessarily films have to be harmless i think that you know we can definitely uh have some things that shake things up more than they currently are i just i, I yeah i i, I kind of find it hard to articulate when and where and why and how uh whenever there's it. something but this this i did not dislike yeah because there's nothing harmful in believing that winnipeg is the sleepwalking capital of the world yeah like there's nothing harmful in believing that a bunch of winnipeggers went to dates on like frozen horse heads in okay was aughts. that part true no no way no, okay that was <laughs> that i believed that was one of the things that i believed to yeah, be true exactly like there's so much in here that you're like i don't know i'm just gonna let this go <laughs> yeah at a certain point I, I will say, I just, this weekend, for the first time, saw a couple of episodes of the new-ish HBO show, or I guess it's not new, it's in its second season, but the HBO show How To with John Wilson. Oh, that's a, that's a good one. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go on the record as being very pro. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Did you ever watch Nathan for you? Yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> Nathan Fielder is a producer on... Uh, how to Nathan for you I feel like is more I don't know like we were talking about like intent and stuff like I feel like Nathan for you may be more like cynical and malicious than you know how to yes 
I I absolutely 100% agree. When I was when we were talking about it um after watching it and when I was telling friends about it, I think it's more of a it's like a less caustic more humanist yes nathan for you like yeah it's much more interested in the lives of the people who experience mm-hmm. things and that he happens to interview than it is in making fun of them yeah and whenever someone is so in one of the episodes that i watched he <laughs> he accidentally manages to get into a baby shower at the home of the ceo of bang energy drinks <laughs> And even though the person, this this person is a complete, like, lunatic and kind of like, you know, re- has real, what's the way to put this? I guess Trumpy, has real Trumpy vibes where he's like, no matter what you ask him, it's always about promoting the product. He's always selling. Yeah. He's always selling bangs. So the episode itself is about trying to enjoy, like learning how to enjoy wine. And of course it takes him on all of these weird, strange detours. And when he meets the guy, even though this person, he's always selling at no point though, is he mean or cruel to John and John never seems to be making fun of him outright either. He seems to be more interested in finding what's humorous about the person that they don't see about themselves but not exposing them to ridicule he's way more about them letting them speak their own words i mean obviously he's choosing what to show to the audience but like you know so many of these people that he's interviewing like are super enthusiastic about what they're talking about and yeah are just crazy characters so yeah and the thing that i was thinking about while watching my winnipeg was that show that it has both that and it also really reminded me of, and again, this might be a weird comparison, Pete and Pete. I feel like Pete and Pete generally has like Canadian humor in it, <laughs> um, even though it wasn't like set or made in Canada. It just feels like a Canadian show. Yes, but it's specifically to me what I, okay, when I think about Pete and Pete, when I'm not thinking about just like, you know, the fun moments that I remember from it or the Magfields music or the Polaris songs. I think about the fact or the way that Pete and Pete is kind of an insight into the mind of the way that children mythologize their experiences and existence, right? Yeah. You know, it's it's not just that they had a fight with their parents about bedtimes. It becomes like this huge war between parents and children. Everything has big, giant, huge consequences. And when you're a kid, every little thing that you learn and every experience that you have, because your brain is still forming and you're in such a developmental stage, you do start to presume, you know, a, a kind of just the way that the human mind works is it presumes the universality of some things. You know, it's like, uh, you know, whenever you go for the first time to a friend's house and their parents do things completely differently than your parents or, Maybe they're stricter, or maybe they're less strict, or whatever. And you get this realization that the world is full of different kinds of people who have different ways of living. And before that, you just presume that the way that you live in your house and the way that your parents think about things is the way that everyone does. Uh, maybe that's a particularly American experience, or maybe it's a particularly, uh, maybe I'm presuming the universality of that. But you create a mythology internally about why your family does something. 
And maybe it's picked up from stories, right? Because Jonathan Godshaw, we are the storytelling animal. You know, we have this this need to tell stories to ourselves. And my Winnipeg is like that because there's a lot of stuff that's just happening in it, but it becomes a mythological thing to John while he's describing it. Or maybe it always has been something mythological because because myths tell us why our world is the way it is, right? Yeah. That's the purpose of mythology. And yeah. I think that my Winnipeg starts from a place of assuming something universal or maybe even something specific about Winnipeg and then applying it across the board and then backtracking a mythology from it. Yeah, because there is definitely the element of myth, like even setting his own life up as a myth, even though there's so much true that he presents, like saying that he was born during a hockey game, like that is like the most Canadian thing to try and claim, (laughs) you know, it's definitely just the Canadian mythology. We have so much American mythology in Tall Tales. Uh, This is kind of like the weird Winnipeg answer or to like that. hiring actors yeah. to like reenact <laughs> arguments that his mom and sister had that he remembers yes. being like out of control yeah um, yeah and then making them say even meaner things than they probably actually said in real life yeah because uh, that like he like exaggerated it in retrospect yeah or like mythologizing peeing in that ice hockey stadium <laughs> like that is like a sacred ritual in the way that like whatever church he would have taken his first communion at would have been in like a normal movie. Like yeah. uh, he goes to pee in the stadium one more time as <laughs> demolished uh, with this little hard hat on to protect himself because, you know, it'll be the last time he ever gets to pee in that piss trough as if it's like a thing that matters. Which that is real. That That's a real event. Well, yeah, he definitely documents it's himself peeing so in there. Yeah, yeah. I was just saying like he, he really was the last person to pee in that urinal. So that is part of the, the mythology here. Well, the, the thing this reminded me most of, just from comparing it, like, what movies we talk about on this podcast, like, I think of it kind of in the same breath as uh, The Great Satan, just in that it's, like, so dense. Yes. That, like, yeah. when I watched it, I was, like, kind of kicking myself that I didn't leave enough time to revisit it, it like, maybe two or three more times <laughs> before we talked about it, because, like... There's just so much going on in here, just so much information and different setups. And when he, once he starts getting rambling, the uh, amount of factoids and like images, um, both archival and staged, like is overwhelming in the same way that the Great Satan was. And I had seen yeah. that probably like three times before we talked about it. So like, <laughs> you know, it's it's easy to go back now and like pick out individual things in my memory, like talking about how. Winnipeggers like to travel only by the back alleys that aren't actually on maps. Yeah. Or like that Masonic temple um, seance going wrong or uh, (laughs) the stuff that really stuck out to me as you already referenced is like the Freudian sexuality stuff because of course it did. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Like that was the stuff I really latched on to. So like it's a movie that like has so many small moments and details that I feel ill-equipped to fully discuss it, even now, just having seen it one time. Um, it feels like something that would be very rewarding to revisit, like, three or four more times before I, like, really dove into it. Yeah, definitely. But, that being said, uh, <laughs> the things that really did stick out to me were the sexuality bits, because, 
like the overarching narrative of this, if there is one, is he's like convincing himself that it's okay to leave Winnipeg. Like yeah. he's like, I have to remind myself about everything about this place and like get it all in film, like mythologized and on record. Um, and once I feel comfortable with like the fact that it's all been recorded, then I can move on and leave the place forever. But I don't really know that that's what he's actually doing. Like, to me, it's like he's like digging deeper and deeper into this relationship he has with Winnipeg. Yeah. And he talks about layering a lot. Like, he talks about like the river fork that like defines the boundaries of the city. Yes. And right. then the river beneath the river, and then yeah. the river beneath that. Yeah. And then later yeah. he's talking about swimming pools. pools? Yeah. He talks about like the public pool. And then beneath the public pool, there's the pool where the girls <laughs> bully each other in the showers. And he has like a sexual fantasy about that. And then beneath that pool, <laughs> there's this other pool where <laughs> yeah. boys bully each other. And he actually participated in those like sexual juvenile like pranks <laughs> that uh, he's describing. And the way he like achieves that stuff in the nar- in the narration. I thought was really impressive because it's got this like, you know, he's, he's talking about it almost like a talking head would talk about um, anything in a documentary. Yes. But yeah. he's doing it in these, like, I would, I would describe it more as like poetry than actual narration. Like mm-hmm. it, it's got this kind of like Gertrude Stein repetition where he'll just say Winnipeg, Peg. Winnipeg, yeah. Winnipeg so <laughs> many like, times that Winnipeg. like, it doesn't Winnipeg. even sound like a word anymore. It's just like babble. And then by doing that, he gets deeper and deeper into the psyche and gets to these, like, weird sexual fixations. And uh, I'm thinking about, like, yeah, now I'm just remembering different moments. But, like, thinking about, like, the schoolgirls beating him up at the convent uh, as he was, like, a little (laughs) kid. And, like, yeah, like, that's the stuff that really impressed me was just, like, getting past the surface details um, and, like, digging into this, like, weirder thing below the surface which he starts off with that too. Like he starts off talking about his mother's lap and how like the yes. uh, the river banks are like the the city's version of a mother's lap and like that's like yeah. straight Freud shit. Uh, <laughs> but then he actually does it after like kind of like mockingly fake doing it at first. Yeah, I uh, one thing that we want to talk about as far as layers that I want to make sure we don't move on without discussing is the fact that like since they can't cast anyone as his father in these recreations, they pretend that they have exhumed his body, his body, and then, <laughs> body and then dirt and then a rug over it, over it yeah. which kind of calls to mind the, the garbage hill. Yeah. It's like he's mythologized uh-huh. his father, both in the context of the hockey arena as well as within the context of the garbage hill that sort of circumscribes this whole event, this whole but place. But he's also kind of just literally swept his dad, dad under the rug. Right, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> Did he say that the hockey arena was his dad? Yeah. Eventually he's like, this, this was place my raised male me. parent, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And That's then, a like, funny his, joke. His father's is, face yeah. in the ice sort of superimposition of his father's face on the ice as it was being closed. So uh, I always think of Guy Madden movies as like Russian nesting dolls. Like they, they, they do that thing where they get smaller and smaller in these like insular worlds. Yeah. Um, Coward's Bend the Knee opens with a uh, sperm sample in like a Petri dish. And then they zoom in and the sperm is hockey players. Um, <laughs> the yeah. closer you get into them. And then, uh, you know, then he goes into a whole thing about his dad in the hockey rink and his mom at the hairdressing salon and becomes its own uh, <laughs> narrative from there. But uh, definitely something he was fixated on around this time. 
Yeah. Brandon, have you seen any of his short films? No, because I don't really watch a lot of standalone shorts. I was going to say, I, I usually do not. Um, but that is actually how I was introduced to his movies, is like his short films, which are still very like 1920s style, like silent films. Um, so it's like really interesting because I love that that's kind of his style, but then also like unabashedly like Freudian as well. It's like... He takes that style and just totally is like, okay, but I'm going to put whatever weird, messed up subject matter I want to on it. But yeah, when he was talking about um, like the male hockey players in the locker room, it reminded me there was one that was similar to that that he made uh, called Sissy Boy Slap Party, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which... Like I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to find it for you because yeah, it's just his whole body of work. You know, I feel like this movie kind of sets you up for it, even though I know he was making movies way before that. Like, it's a good stepping stone. I feel like okay to everything else personally. Like my Winnipeg is. Yeah, I feel like I know him better as a person because I don't feel like anything I've seen from him before was personal but I, yeah. it, it was i just didn't know it like i, I didn't exactly, know yeah. what about cowards bend the knee was biographical like that didn't speak to me as like something that was like oh this is his life even though he he plays guy madden in the movie yeah <laughs> it, it, it felt like kind of just kind of like a, a joke but you know it kind of turns out that like that that movie and this movie share a lot of like surface details in a way i just didn't expect and um I don't know. I feel like I knew more about his psyche than I knew about his life. <laughs> and now I see like how those two things are connected better after watching this. Yeah. Also, uh, speaking of like Freudian stuff and like not knowing um, <laughs> what's actual innuendo, hearing him say Winnipeggers a lot, I just kept thinking like, <laughs> if this was made just a few years later, like, would there have been a Winnipegging joke like explicit in the narrative? Because there's yeah. like... So much, like, sexual bullying um, and, like, dominating stuff in the movie. I feel like it was, like, right there. <laughs> the joke was just, like, left on the table. Maybe it was just a few years too early. Yeah. It, I, you're I right. I don't get it. No, you're I'm just right. Kidding. It I'm is sorry. a little... It is a little... <laughs> couple years I just hadn't early. said anything in a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Frankly, like, this is one of my favorite movies, like, ever, actually. Um, so I'm, I'm glad y'all both enjoyed it. I did. I really did. I will say I, I started watching it a couple of days ago and I got like five minutes in and I was like, oof, I'm going to need to devote more time to this because it, it has such a fast stream of consciousness thing going on in it, just like um, like the great Satan, actually, that yeah. it just sort of like moves from from thing to thing to thing to thing so quickly that like even if you zone out for like half a second you're lost it's like oh what are we there's a seance now um and so this is a movie that definitely requires more attention than a lot of things but it's worth it yeah just very into this weird canadian psychological <laughs> experiment that is this movie <laughs> I also uh, want to point out the word he uses when he talks about what he was aiming for with this, which is docufantasia. Yeah. Which is a great word. Um, we did recently a episode on movies that are like about a director's life, like 
autobiographical films. Um, yeah. and they were all semi-fictionalized. I, I asked if y'all were going to do this one. Um, oh, you did? Yeah. I'm glad that you didn't so we could have this discussion. Right. But <laughs> I feel like that was like a good um, base level before. Because this one goes... I thought I Blame Society would have been like uh, tilting it a little bit too much into like docu-fantasia. Yeah. <laughs> but this one like really goes off the rails. It really uh, the, does. <laughs> the word that um, Almodovar uses... In those movies that we talked about, uh, particularly Pain and Glory, he said uh, autofiction. But I really like this this other place, uh, this docufantasia headspace, I feel like, is more conducive to cinema. Like, I, I like that um, there's that, like, kernel of, like, biographical truth. Uh, and then you actually learn way more about him and how his mind works by him not sticking to that. Yeah. Like, I feel like I, I know so much more about him than I would have if he had just told me, you know, the sort of literal events of his life in his town. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I get him and how he thinks more now. Yeah. Which, you know, is impressive, I feel like. I mean, there's just some of those artists that are out there that you're like, I don't understand the way your brain works, but I love it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I do feel like this movie gives you a little bit more insight and boomer i think you would like saddest music in the world yeah i think so it. too it's this most like narrative film like it's most like i don't, I don't want to call it normal because that's not quite no. right but it's his most like <laughs> it's his best behaved movie but i, I don't think he like yeah. gives up anything about himself in that like it still feels like a guy madden movie very much yeah actually i i don't know i think you would like a lot of his movies yeah if you liked this nothing's out of off the table <laughs> all right well, next week on the show, we are returning to the best movies of 2021. Hopefully by then, I'll have a better idea of like what our actual like site-wide consensus picks for the top 10 movies of the year are. Uh, but we already did our like exhaustive roundtable of like those movies last episode. Um, next week, we're going to instead talk about... Um, some honorable mentions, things that very likely will not be on our group list. Uh, more things that like slip through the cracks. It kind of is an excuse for me to make everyone watch Annette because it's something that no one else has watched willingly, and I need someone to talk to about it. Uh, but there'll be some other like oddball picks uh, for like movies that slip through the cracks that we haven't quite talked about yet on this podcast from last year. Before we move on, and then uh, I don't know on the website right now. Everyone's been posting their lists. They're coming in, trickling through. I'll, I'll link Allie's list in the show notes to this episode. Um, and as the next couple weeks go on, by the end of the month, we should have a collective top ten list. And it should not be the same five to ten movies that you've seen on everyone else's top tens. Every other site has the same, uh, you know, licorice pizza, drive my car, uh, power of the dog, just sort of like rearranged from list to list. I, I don't think <laughs> yeah. we've seen that in Swapplex. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so we at least have that going for us. We're pretty good about going off the beaten path or at least, you know, appreciating, appreciating the underappreciated. <laughs> and we don't only watch screeners that movie companies send us in December because they don't send us anything. I know. So we don't all watch the same three or four movies at the end of the year and be like, yeah, that's pretty good. Let's, let's go with those. They could start sending us them. I wouldn't argue, but... Yeah, I, I'll live that life. <laughs> <laughs> no guarantees, but yeah. Well, um, we'll talk to you all next week. Bye, everybody. Hey. Bye.
we stand on guard for thee.